afresh this morning. Astonishing God, send your Holy Spirit upon us as we await the coming of your Son. Fill us with good things that we may conceive your reign on earth and glorify you according to your word through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Um, this time of year with all the festivities or New Year's, uh, Thanksgiving, um, in a typical year, uh, might be one of those times, those seasons where um, we have parties. We get to parties, we get together with people. And I don't know if you've ever had uh, this sort of uh, experience. I, I'm willing to bet most of us have had this experience where um, you're going someplace, there's a gathering, there's a get-together, there's a cookout, there's a dinner somewhere, there's a party, and you realize, oh, that person's showing up. Like, they're, they're going to come. And now it, it just kind of went up a notch. Like, it's going to be, I'm so glad they're showing up. You're excited that, you know, you weren't sure if they were going to be able to show up, but they show up, and you're just expecting, you know, everything to be a little bit better, right? Yeah, it goes the other way, too, doesn't it? Oh, they're showing up. <laughs> and now you're thinking ahead about how to navigate the awkward conversation, the strained small talk, or maybe just the, the kind of passive make sure you're on the other side of the room while that person is there. And that happens as well, this sort of uh, just trying to avoid. Um, <clears throat> we saw this a little bit during uh, lockdown in Maine. People very concerned in our rather safe state about out-of-staters. I heard stories about people who had rentals, car rentals, maybe New Jersey plates. They had to write notes on their car and say, this is just a rental. It's not, I'm not really from New Jersey because of some of the negative energy that they would receive from people in state, which is really a shame. Um, what is the population of Maine is roughly the size of Columbus, that huge metropolis we always hear about, Columbus, a little over a million, um, lots of space, and things are relatively safe. There's a global pandemic, and I'm sure there's different opinions about how serious um, that pandemic is, but nonetheless, we live in a place that's fairly safe. And I think we would want to extend some hospitality to people who want to be safe. Um, some of these people have homes up here, and I know there was uh, stories about evictions, and I'm sure this doesn't, we're not trying to bypass any discussion on ethics, on uh, evicting people uh, when you have an out-of-state home in Maine and coming back to home. We don't want to dodge those sort of um, ethical discussions. Um, but... This land that we see out here, the dirt, it doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. Um, and there should be this welcome. If we have something good, we want to share it with others. Last week, we saw this contrast between uh, the backdrop of the Roman Empire and the power of Rome and God revealing to the shepherds on a lonely hillside um, and this idea that God sees me, God sees us, God sees the person who feels like they are small, uh, the person who feels like God doesn't see them. That was the contrast last week. The contrast this week is that God doesn't just see us, but God sees them as well. 
And in this story, they are wealthy people from away. Right? So there's still a dramatic backdrop to this. God sees me and God sees us and them. Um, And so the message I, I want us to understand this morning, and this is the message of Christmas, is that it's good news not just for me. It's good news for the whole world. And so up until this point, we've been talking about the Israelite prophets. We've been talking about Mary and Joseph um, living in Nazareth. We've been talking about the shepherds, Israelites, who would have, um, even though they're shepherds, um, would have known about this promise of a coming king. Today, we read about people from away who are coming to worship. It's not just good news for me, but it's good news for the world. And this is how this story progresses. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. And it's amazing how we can get caught up in trying to keep all the good stuff for ourselves. Um, But that's not Christmas. And what's interesting is that as we look at the readings, if we follow the liturgical calendar and and we look at the readings for Sunday, and we look at the reading for Uh, Next Sunday, the third, uh, they follow this same theme. The uniting of the world in Christ. Um, So we begin, we're going to look at the the Magi this this morning. We look at Matthew chapter 2. And we start in, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So that's interesting because before it was all about Nazareth and where they were from, Jesus' parents. And having to make a note, because a lot of people wouldn't know where Nazareth was. Here, um, we know right where it is. It's in, uh, it's in Judea. It's a country, right? I'm trying to point out which country it's in. During the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. And we have come to worship him. So if we just stop there for a minute, we have this mention of wise men. You know, the song says, we three kings. Uh, we're not quite sure of the identity. Um, there's no mention that there are three. Um, it could be uh, magicians from uh, the east. It could be uh, astrologers from the east. It could be uh, a part of a priest, priest from a, a different religion traveling out uh, to the land of Judea. And uh, this is a big deal. And I think that as we approach the gospel and the ministry of Jesus, what we're getting is a foreshadowing of things to come. Um, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, have come to worship Jesus as a king, as a king, king of the world, right? So it's not just king of Israel, but king of everyone. And so this is so much bigger than was expected, much bigger. Um, And this issue of race and ethnic diversity is at the heart of the gospel. And I think it's so easy for us to forget. In Matthew 8.11, which we'll look at later, we don't need to go there now, Jesus praises 
a Roman officer's faith. He says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. And it's a Roman officer who is concerned about his servant. And Jesus says, I'm amazed at the faith of this person from away. We have the parable of the labor. Remember that parable where the the landowner goes out and says, uh, listen, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars to work a full day. And they work a full day. The landowner then goes, gets more workers. Midday said, okay, it's going to be fewer hours, but I'm going to pay you the same amount. That sounds like a good deal. They start to work. The landowner comes, needs more workers. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's 3 o'clock. It's only three hours of work, but I'm going to pay you the same amount as everyone else. This is a story about the people that came late. This is a story about non-Jewish people at the heart of Jesus' parables. The wedding feast where the invitations go out. And the people that receive these invitations, they don't really want to go. All right, go out into the highways and the byways. Go out into the alleys. Find anyone who will show up. This is a parable about the gospel reaching beyond the borders of Israel. The people from away. The Good Samaritan. Here's someone that does not worship the God of Israel. And at the heart of Israel, Jesus you know, narrowed it down, this, this theology, to two things. Love God and love other people. Love your neighbor. He says, who's my neighbor? This guy. This Israelite. He tells a story about a Levite who, no offense, Levi, but he goes on the other side and says, I don't want to help. And the priest, who goes on the other side of the road, has to walk out of his way to avoid this person who's near death. And the Samaritan, the foreigner, who opens up his wallet, takes the things that he has to give to this other person. And then Jesus says, who is the neighbor here? Who looks like what this kingdom is supposed to look like? This kingdom that you're trying to guard so heavily. It's that person beyond our borders, the person from away. Ephesians chapter 1 is the reading on January 3rd. And we read that, and Paul says, we have been adopted. We have been predestined. And we read that and we think, okay, Paul is speak, Paul's a Christian. He's speaking as a Christian. So he's saying, we Christians. Right? There was a book, a small book, years ago, by Christer Stendhal. Um, <clears throat> Paul among Jews and Gentiles that blew this whole thing out of the water and said you have to pay attention to the pronouns. Because in chapter 2, it says you also have been brought near. And we think, well, he's writing to Christians. You meaning me. We have been predestined. You have been brought near. It's all written to me. Which is a very kind of an American thing to do. Since we're so concerned about our individual well-being. And what this guy points out is that that's not the way you read it. It's we Jews have been adopted. We have been predestined. This is all language right out of Exodus. It's a very Jewish story. And then Paul turns around at the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2 and says, You also, you from away, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, have been brought near. 
And then he goes on to talk about the community of God as being a temple that we are built together. Not just we as individuals, but what he's saying specifically is we Jews, you Gentiles in Christ are built together as a place of worship. Ephesians 1 and 2. The prodigal son has notes of this as well. The son that goes away and spends all his inheritance ends up eating pig slop. Now his audience would have understood what he's referring to. These are non-Jewish people who eat pork. And he comes home. And the one who has a problem with it is the older brother. And the father still goes out to the older brother, seeks him out, and reminds him, everything I've had, everything that's mine is yours. You've had this the whole time. We need to celebrate the fact that the people from away are now included. They were lost, and now they are found. Now that's a great story. Parables are designed so that we can read that as the prodigal, either son. Or we can read it as groups. And this idea of the ethnic and the racial divisions being united and being healed and restored in Christ. And so we're seeing that here. That we see perhaps a a foreign priestly caste of people who are wealthy, traveling all this way out to worship Jesus as king. A party. And I think the way we're meant to see this is that, oh, there's a party, and man, I'm so excited that they're showing up. It's going to be better now that they are here. We see this at the end of Jesus' career as well. Now both the powers of Jerusalem, the home, and the powers of Rome, those away, are complicit in the execution of Jesus. But they also are both clearly invited to the table. And so the worship of Jesus by the Magi foreshadows this inclusion and this uniting of Jews and non-Jews in God's kingdom, which was the plan to begin with. I love that they're actively seeking. You know, we saw the shepherds where God takes the initiative and comes to them. God certainly takes the initiative in Matthew and Matthew's gospel and goes to, shows up to Joseph. And Joseph gets up and he acts. But here we see people seeing a star, packing up and going to find out what this is all about. I love the active element in their worship. So we see in verse 2, they, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. So the star, you know, this is interesting. Um, scholars have asked, what, you know, what is this star? I think we have a, one slide here. Um, this has to do with one theory. Um, we're not going to nail down any definites here, but I thought this was fun. Um, some scholars thought that maybe they saw uh, Halley's Comet, which would have passed by in sight uh, around 11 BCE. Um, that's a bit too early. Um, there are several times where there's this what's called a convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. Where in the sky they, they just look closer together. And as they look closer together, they look brighter. Um, 
I've heard that it hasn't happened in 800 years, but in reality, it happened in 2000. It happened in the 1600s, uh, but the way it happened there and the location, it just wasn't very visible. The last time it was very visible was in the 1200s. So that's why people are saying it hasn't happened in, in um, uh, 800 years. When is the next time that that's going to happen? Anyone know? Does it say up there? <laughs> tomorrow. Well, 2040 is the next time, but tomorrow. And I think the next one shows that. The next slide. <clears throat> There's the 21st. Wow. In the southwest, uh, just after uh, sunset. Um, I don't know what our forecast is tomorrow, how clear it is. But I would love to hear if anyone happens to see that. Um, the final theory is that um, there is a convergence of Venus in one other planet. Um, and one person said it would have appeared to observers in Babylon to have merged just before the setting of the general, in the de general direction of Bethlehem in the west. Um, that was in 2 BC. Um, but this Saturn and Jupiter was in 7 BC. In 7 BCE, it happened three times in eight months, actually. Um, so we don't know which it is, um, but if you're out looking at the sunset tomorrow, maybe you'll see Saturn and Jupiter converging. And they go there to worship. And when we worship, what we're declaring of that person or that thing is that they are worthy of our trust. That they're worthy for us to follow. That they're worthy of our hope. That they're worthy of our devotion. So the Magi presence there indicates that Jesus is not simply king of the Jews, but king of the world. That there's a vision beyond what's you know, happening locally that's something so much bigger. And they're there to see it. Not everyone shares their enthusiasm. In verse 3, we go back to our scripture, it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So last week we saw the, the, the contrast between what's happening in Jerusalem and Rome and the census. In Matthew's Gospel, we see more of a contrast between what's happening in Jerusalem and the powers that be versus what's happening with Jesus and his birth. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Which I'm not, what is that figure of speech? Is that hyperbole maybe? Not everyone in Jerusalem is upset. But it's talking about this power, the center of power. is a little bit concerned that this famous king has been born and what it might mean for them and their power and their ability to hold on to it. There's fear that drives their actions. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers and religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. Bethlehem's probably about 600 people. Not a very big place. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Herod then called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared, and then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and let me know so that I might go and worship him too. 
This is not what Herod does. He reacts with violence. Um, that says the story progresses. We're not going to get into that passage this morning. But he is driven by fear um, to a point of acting in violent ways. Um, he's being deceitful. <clears throat> in the story, you know, his fear is contrasted in this next passage by the joy that the Magi feel. In verse 9 it says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I don't know, it might be worth just pausing on what it would be like to be filled not just have a moment, an afternoon, but be filled with joy. It doesn't really spell out what this means for them, personally. But we have the reaction of just being filled with joy. They entered the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasure chests, Gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I love that phrase. They opened up their treasure for this baby. What does it mean for us to open up our treasure chest for this person? For them, a foreigner, a foreign baby, born in another land. Requires quite a bit of effort for them to get there. And when they do, they open up their treasure to him. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Matthew's foreshadowing a lot of things that will happen later on in the book particularly right at the end of the book. He goes to trial. Um, with Pilate, and Pilate has other gifts waiting for him. But Pilate, like Joseph, is also warned in a dream not to harm him. In 27:29, soldiers are the first non-Jewish people since the Magi to call Jesus King of the Jews. Of course, as a king, he has a crown of thorns and a throne that is a cross instead. In verse 45, instead of a bright star, there's an unearthly darkness. And in verse 54, there's this single voice, a non-Jewish voice that says, he truly was the Son of God. You know, Matthew follows this all the way through, and the themes show up at the end of the book as well. One scholar wrote this, says, The opening passage of Matthew 2 sharply contrasts the acceptance of the new king by Gentile strangers with the violent rejection of him by the Jewish ruler. For Matthew, this undoubtedly symbolized the future rejection of Jesus 
by his own people in the acceptance of the gospel by the non-Jewish people. Um, we'd want to note that there are plenty of Jews that believe as well. Um, Matthew, not the least of these. For us, the contrast can serve to symbolize the internal contrast between that part of the inner self which willingly and joyfully accepts the lordship of Jesus as our king and that darker side of the self which firmly and persistently rejects his right to rule. Rejects his right to rule. So you have these people showing up and opening up their treasure chest. I, I had other things planned, but I wanted to share a story um, with you about this vision of people coming together. Um, this happened to me yesterday, uh, still fresh. Um, we, uh, yeah, towards the end of April, um, we had parted ways with John, and that was a rough week. And we had the opportunity to house some kids who had COVID. Uh, Their mother was sick, single mom, uh, who had to call 911 and and wasn't sure what was going to happen with her kids. Um, She was scared. Um, I had had a pretty rough day after that week of all those Zoom meetings. I came to an emotional breakdown earlier that day, and then we had one more meeting that night. In the middle of that meeting, so uh, Lisa leaves to, to get these kids in Portland. And we get we get a third floor. They can go up there. They can quarantine till this is done. We'll f- bring the food up to the third floor. And we went through that. We had Mother's Day with them. That was the first day we were able to eat together without masks and all that, and sit around the table. They got well. Uh, fairly quickly, the mother finally got well, and the kids were returned home. So yesterday, the, the mother showed up. Um, this was planned, but we had forgotten it for some reason. I, I think that it was, you know, it's a crazy time of year, lots of things going on. And then luckily, Lisa saw our calendar and said, oh, they're going to be here in an hour, <laughs> by the way. Uh, the kids, the mom, and a, f- a family friend. And so they show up, and they're, they're bearing gifts. Um, and we sit down around a table, you know, and they're from Africa. They're from Rwanda. And their friend Joseph, who came with them, um, is from Rwanda as well. Um, I guess at first I thought maybe, um, I don't know what the relationship was, but in hindsight I think he was there as a translator. And the mother came to share how grateful she was. And she shared this story from her side her point of view about her kids um, and having to call 911 and not knowing the native tongue. She can't explain to the people that her kids are sick at home with COVID as well. She's got a sister-in-law who couldn't take them. Their house was way too small. They couldn't isolate. She has no idea what's going on. She's scared. She's scared. Um... She's sharing the story. She's speaking in French or whatever, uh, some form of French, to Joseph, who's uh, translating for us. And she's just bawling. Um, 
And it took so long because I think she was so humbled. She was overwhelmed and didn't really know how to approach this situation. And as she's sharing it, I'm beginning to feel this. Everyone around the table is crying at this point. But I'm sitting there thinking with this, the gift of the Magi and all that in the background, thinking here we have a table. Literally, we're sitting around the table and it's white on one side and it's black on the other side. Talking. Four people over there, five people over there, and we're sitting around, and there's Christmas decorations up, and we're hearing the story, and everyone is crying. And all I keep thinking is, we are the ones who were blessed. You blessed us. Um, and I thought, this is it. We're around a table. And they're Christians. She was praying that God would step in somehow, which I didn't know that. They know some of the people we know up here. The guy that owns Thomas Point Beach. They know him. We're asking about church. We're asking about their church. And it was a moment. It was the best Christmas present that we'll get this year. Um, but it was the vision of all of us sitting around this table. And then the table coming together for a picture where we are now mingled together and getting a picture of this scene. And all I kept thinking for her is that you're coming to us, but it was a, such a great blessing for us because it came at a time where we were really struggling. And those kids, we've done this several times, but those kids were fantastic. They were a, a, an incredible blessing to us. And I just kept trying to explain that we were the ones that were blessed by this. And I thought, this is the picture of what the kingdom should be like at this party. Amen. That no matter who is showing up, we should be excited about that. Amen. That we should be excited to forget the border. There's no border. <laughs> you walk across, you know, there's no border along that river between New Hampshire and Maine. There's no line. That whatever the issue is, we are together in Christ. We are together in Christ. And Matthew's trying to show that. He chooses the stories he's sharing. And this is the one he thought, I need to share this story about the Magi coming all the way from the east to sit down at a table across from Joseph and Mary to share their gifts. So, let's read Matthew 8.11. I love this. This is after the Roman officer shows his faith. Jesus says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And then he goes on to say this, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, Amen. from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. That is the vision. And that's where the Magi lead us. That's how they lead us to Bethlehem. They go there and they sit down. Different people, maybe different languages. They open up their treasure to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And that's Christmas. Amen. Uh, one little quote to end here. We'll continue with songs. Have Graham and Becky come on back up. Uh, N.T. Wright wrote this. says, Think about what it meant for Jesus to be the true king of the Jews. And then come to him by whatever route you can. 
however it takes to get there, whatever you need, get there and with the best gifts you can find to bring and worship Him. So my prayer is that our Christmas, while isolated and distanced, is one that is open and welcoming to all, even if it's in our hearts and minds. Um, I feel very strongly about this in the Gospels. I learned this years ago from uh, a pastor I knew who taught me all about the pronouns in Ephesians. Who thought that that would be so powerful? But we need to have that vision for Christmas, that it is so much bigger than us, me, my family, our people. It's a gift for everyone. Every single day. God, we thank you for your great gift and your great vision that truly challenges us and astonishes us and surprises us. Um, I thank you for that gift yesterday, of that short time uh, with that family. They, uh, what a blessing it was to sit at the table with them to share our love and our faith together, to proclaim Jesus as Lord and King and God together. I pray that this would be a reality for all of us in many ways this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.